Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 213 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And tonight, I am very excited to bring you a very special announcement indeed, and that is uh, to talk more about our Exploring the Lord of the Rings publication as we are working to bring our Exploring the Lord of the Rings web project together. Um, we've been talking about this. It's been a long time now since, um, you know, I've been saying and several of you have been saying, you know, we should really do something uh, about this. And uh, we've been we've been we've been working uh, on that. And we now have a um, well, I guess it's more of a plan of a plan <laughs> than an actual plan. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're having a place, this, I'm going to let this kind of unfold uh, sort of naturally. I'm not going to be really trying to steer this. I think this is going to be best if it's really a grassroots project, if it's really a community uh, project. Um, something that just emerges and kind of takes shape from um, from what you guys want to see and what you want to do, I think that there's a lot that we can do. Um, but I don't want to dictate it. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to just be saying like, okay, this is exactly what we need to see. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what comes. Um, I've been getting emails. I've gotten, e I got emails before. I got a few, I announced this again last week and I've gotten a few more emails during this past week, which is awesome. Um, uh, so, uh, but first let me introduce you, uh, to Jenny, who is going to be our coordinator. Um, she's going to be the one who is going to be helping to kind of direct traffic, um, get people sort of pointed, uh, in the right direction here. Um, uh, and, uh, she is the one who's really kind of making this possible. If we didn't, uh, if we didn't have Jenny stepping, uh, uh, stepping up and, uh, and taking this on, it would really not be able to happen. So, um, I, I want, Jenny was able to, she's not usually able to join us live. Um, but I, 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 she is, happens to be with us live last week and this week. Um, so I, uh, wanted to invite her on. Jenny, thanks for joining me tonight. She's going to be just audio only here tonight, but hi, Jenny. Corey. Oh, yes. Yep. Am I working? Am I in? There you are. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Great. Excellent. 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 Welcome. So glad you could be with us. So, um, so tell people what they can expect, where we're going to be sort of starting out. Hey, everyone. So I'm Jenny. I am from Australia. Um, and I'm, yeah, going to be helping to manage this project. So um, at the moment, like you said, it's it's sort of more of a plan of a plan um, and just sort of planning how to get started more than anything. Um, so we have set up um, a forum on the, the Mythgard forums. Um, Corey, if you want to bring that up so we can have All a right. look. Yeah, here we go. So I'm starting here just at the... Um, 
this is the default Mythgard for us. If you go to forums.signumuniversity.org, this is the main index. And this is where you can see several of our discussions, including, for instance, all of our film film discussions um, over many years have been here. Um, but if you scroll down a little bit, we've got our Exploring the Lord of the Rings um, forum here. And you click through to there. And this is, of course, where you get to the questions for Narnian sections. And this is also where uh, Tony's wonderful episode summaries live. Um, and uh, here at the top here is our new sub forum uh, for the legacy project planning. Yes. Yeah, so when you click on that, you come up with three um, sub forums there. Um, and I've just set it up so that there's there's a general discussion bit. So anyone who has any questions, just want to chat, like ask anything about the project, just chat about it, volunteer, any of those things, jump in there, say hello, um, post whatever you want to post. And then the way I've set it up is I've got two other sections. I've got a content section and I've got a tech slash implementation section. So anyone who's interested in doing the, the tech side, the website, creating the website, which I absolutely need help with because I am not a web programmer or anything, um, please do jump in there. Um, I've, I've posted a few um, introductory things just going through some of my ideas that I'm, I'm starting with, but this, this is absolutely a communal project and I, I can't wait to get everyone else involved as well. Um, and then the, the same similar thing for the content, like, if, if, you know, if you want to build on Tony's amazing summaries, um, do some of the theme collecting and writing up on different themes, then yeah, jump in there, give us a hand. Um, yeah. And then at the bottom, I've just got a little bit of a, a plan of where we are at the moment and I'll keep that updated so that you can see where we're at and, and what we're up to next and how you can help. Um, and then the project goals is just going over um, pretty much what Corey was talking about last week. Um, yeah, why we're doing it and what we want to get out of it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think this is this is great. So, of course, it's it's going to be really interesting because, of course, on the one hand, we, we have this very sensible division into two different teams, essentially. Right. We've got a team of people um, we're going to be putting together a team of people who are going to be working on. Uh, the implementation, right? We're going to be working on actually building the website, seeing how that would work. You know, how are we going to structure that? How, you know, what kind of things can we do? What are the kind of the limitations we're going to be working under? And then we've got the team who are going to be focusing on content, um, gathering things together, figuring out how to put that together. But of course, there's going to have to be discussion, right? As one of those things is going to inform the other. Um, and so that's going to be a really interesting um uh, kind of synergy as that sort of emerges. So there's definitely folks who are really interested in the tech side um, and would really like to uh, take a hand in seeing what we can uh, put together as far as the, uh, um, the, the, the delivery mechanism and structure of the thing. There's going to be a lot to work on there for folks who don't know anything about the tech stuff and but are you know interested in thinking about gathering topics going through doing some you know maybe editing you know there'll be stuff from uh you know note taking to uh uh to collection to like uh, getting making snippets uh audio or video snippets of earlier discussions to bringing in um uh discussions from the discussion board and all kinds of things um so um 
uh, there'll be, there's definitely stuff for both sides to do, but again, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of, uh, you know, need for us to be kind of talking, um, uh, talking to each other and everything as well. Um, so yeah, I think that it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. As I said, if you've, if you've already emailed me, um, then we've, we've, uh, we've got your name. We're going to, we're going to invite you in. I'm going to uh, send an email to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Um, but if you haven't gotten a chance to volunteer yet, we do have that top forum there, which is a place where you can, where you can volunteer, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you can do and what you want to do. And, um, uh, we'd be happy to to plug you in and get you involved. That's going to be, uh, you know, Jenny's primary uh, job, just to be kind of making sure that people get plugged in where they want to go, and and uh, you know, to to see what tasks need to be done and um, and whom it can be allocated to, and all that kind of thing. So it's going to be it should be a really fun project, I think. And I'm, I'm really interested to see, we'll do some, you know, periodic updates and stuff as we sort of see what's going on. Um, but of course that, the, that first forum as well, the general discussion forum is going to be a place where we can kind of, you know, talk about the big picture and figure out, um, what we want to do and how we might go about it and stuff. So looking forward to seeing what comes of that. Very cool. So Jenny, do you have any other uh, any other thoughts or things that you want to uh, uh, let people know before we before we move back to poetry here? Or? Um, not particularly. I don't think I'm I'm looking forward to the poetry myself. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, and thank you, Jenny, again so much for your willingness to help with this. As I say, it's it's really what is going to make that possible. So I'm uh, uh, I'm I'm enormously grateful uh, for the work that you've already been doing, and you know that you are going to be doing as we're uh, going to be getting people pointed in the right direction here. So. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so excited for this project. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Thanks. And yeah, we'll have more updates and more exciting things going on uh, as we uh, as we move forward. So awesome. Cool. So we will um, we will move back to poetry now. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, uh, welcome to uh, uh, Anif Samaj. I see another new person who just caught up with us. I always feel like you know this by the way is one of the things that has to be built in right we have to have some kind of like i don't know badge system or something like to, to, to you know for there needs to be some kind of recognition like for people who uh, uh who catch up with us as we go along um that would be fun but um anyway all right um let's uh let us get back to the poem so as i did last time i want to start off by rereading the first three stanzas so that we can remember where we are uh, coming from. Um, and um, uh, so let's uh, let's dig into these the first three stanzas here again. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer and autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. And we were noting, of course, many of the similarities and differences, even just structurally, between that last stanza and the two stanzas that came before. In particular, the disruption, apparent disruption. Um, at least I'm prepared for some disruption of that... Um, 
symmetrical format, right? That 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 kind of poetic diptych thing that he was doing in the first two stanzas, where we have that symmetry between lines three and four and lines one and two there of the first two stanzas, and the way that the whole thing is sort of brought together um, into one complete sentence. Um, and we noticed, of course, we end with a period. Um, no, but not only do we end with a period, but the whole... Um, both syntactic and rhythmic structure of that third stanza um, was all jammed together, right? Instead of having um, something like, I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, colon. It's not really a colon, right? It's a, it's a series of, you know, of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers. It's a series of, of phrases. But still, there's that sense, right? You know, like, here are the things that I have seen, and we get those things kind of detached from each other um, in, a, in a sort of series. And we were looking at how stanza three, we don't get, it's not just that we get a shorter series, we don't get a series at all. Instead, we get this bunch of um, subordinating uh, concepts. Right. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Right. Each idea just kind of adding to and clarifying the idea before rather than giving us a series of things that he's thinking about. Right. That he's thinking about or that he has seen. Um, and we were talking about the I was asking the question because I couldn't resist the comparison to the Ent poem, the Ent and Ent wife poem, um, and was wondering if there were a sense in which he could be shifting ground here with winter. Um, are we what kind of winter are we talking about here? Um, and is is there any sense in which you know is there any kind of apocalyptic flavor to this poem? Is it something beyond merely his own life and the possi- you know and the contemplation of his own mortality? And I was saying that I didn't think it very likely, but I, I thought it worth thinking about. Um, uh, so we thought about that a little bit, um, and we had the winter coming without a spring, and we were given nothing about the winter. We're given no details, no description. Um, what we're thinking about here, what he's thinking about is not winter, but he's thinking about the world and how the world will be under these circumstances. So now let's go on and read. I'm going to go back and read stanza three again, and then we're going to go on to read stanza four. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Okay. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Sorry, I was just stopping for a second to see if I'm pronouncing that last line properly. There is a different green. Yeah, two syllables. Uh, how many syllables, pronounced syllables, should there be in the word different? Right, because you can do it with two or three. We can see they different or different. Um, but I think it's two. At least two is what fits the very steady iambic meter, which continues, right? Um, uh Yeah, I agree. I don't see any reason to bend the meter to give it three either, Bionis Um Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, 
I, the reason I ask that question primarily, there, I, I, I don't want to make assumptions because whenever I am focusing on the pronunciation and the sound of Tolkien's poetry, I'm, I always try to remember that I'm an American and that I'm probably doing it wrong. I went through a lot of my life not doing that, like not, I mean, I went through a lot of my career doing it wrong, but I, I went through a lot of my, my life forgetting to remember that. <laughs> basically, um, and just kind of uh, sort of being puzzled by things that I probably shouldn't be puzzled by. So, um, okay. Um, but it's probably different, I think. Um, um, yeah, I agree. It's an innovation that's shared by British and American Englishes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's a, a real reason to necessarily to fear that here. And Jenny says, and Australian as well. So there we go. Okay, um, same order as before. Rhythm, first rhythm. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Yes, with that pronunciation, the meter is perfect again. Um, uh, Bjorning, I agree. But you know what I can't help but notice? It's not just different. It's not just the word different. Sorry, I should specify. Um, it's not just the word different that's an issue. It's every as well in the previous line. Um, we have to do every as a two-syllable word, which again is common enough in every wood, in every spring. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. And that works. And that's fine. But I wonder, am I wrong to feel tension there? Do you see what I mean? Like there's, there are three words which actually have three syllables, but as pronounced, tend um, tend, to, uh, tend to have two syllables, right? Um, and if it were just different, if that were the only one, I wouldn't think anything of it. But it happens three times. Um, and in fact, those three words, every, every, different, um, are really important words. I mean, I think the word spring might possibly be more central. Possibly. But I'm not sure. I, I think that um, every, every indifferent are quite likely in my very first you know, reading here. Um, I would be tempted to call those actually the dominant concepts of this entire stanza. Especially um, uh, especially when um, uh, we combine it with the never that we've been repeating. Um, that is, we've we've had we've had it we've had it. Didn't we have a never? No, I'm, I'm fantasizing the never. We haven't had a never. Um, in fact, I was talking last time about how we didn't have the negatives. Yeah. Exactly. Never mind. Um, uh, we get a never 
in line two. Never, every, every different. Um, yeah, never mind. Beyond his honor, exactly. Okay, okay. Um, Beyond his honor, I want to come back to the comment you just made, though. Um, Bjarne Sonner says, I think in all three of those cases, every, every, and different, adding the extra syllable, the third syllable, would just make it sound inappropriately archaic. Yes, it would. But inappropriately archaic is like Tolkien's middle name. <laughs> right? I mean, inappropriately archaic is a way of life <laughs> that Tolkien chose. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, inappropriately archaic could be an epitaph on Tolkien's literary corpus, right? So, uh, so um, again, and I'm not saying that that's reason that we, I'm not, I'm not at all saying, let me clarify, I don't think um, that I'm not trying to argue that we should be pronouncing those with three syllables. I don't. I think they should be pronounced with two syllables. I think that's right. But what I'm saying is, um, uh, what I'm saying is, there's a tension there. Maybe a better way to say it. When I pronounce it slowly, carefully, rhythmically, I am aware of the syllables that I'm skipping. If I, when I just say, when I say the word every or the word different in conversation, I don't think about it ever. Right. Never, ever do I think about it. Um, but when doing all three of those in a row in this rhythm, like we have been absolutely prepared for a completely or almost completely, um, regular iambic flow. If anything disrupted the iambic flow, it would be jarring in this poem at this point. Um, we have been something like lulled to sleep by the iambic beat. Very regular, very dependable, all the way through into the fourth stanza. Um, it would be jarring. I won't go so far as to say freakish, but it would be jarring to do all three. Um... I saw somebody mention Rob Inglis's pronunciation. Um, I I don't hate how those lines come across in English's in English's pronunciation, but I love Rob Inglis, and I will listen to Rob Inglis's reading for the rest of my life. I strongly dislike Andy Serkis's Lord of the Rings reading. I'm sorry, I, I dislike it a lot. But um, my biggest complaint with Inglis is that his poetic ear is quite poor. Um, his Tom Bombadil is quite poor. He does not hear the trochees. He tries to make Tom Bombadil speak in iams, um, and it doesn't work. Um, but um, um, <laughs> Emily says you gave up circus, the circus version before you left Brie. I made it all the way to Rivendell, and then I, I threw in the towel. Um, but um, yeah, oh, musical, oh my goodness. Uh, Andy Circus's Tom Bombadil made me want to punch him in the face. Um, uh, which again, like I, I get anyway, whatever. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so the, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not here to talk about that. <laughs> not, not here to talk about that. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So Rob Inglis does not have an ear for the rhythm of the poems here. Um, and, uh, uh, I, yeah. Um, so 
I don't give much credence to that. Um, anyway, um, back to the tension that I was trying to describe. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. I'm not sure I can explain it. It's the way I normally pronounce the words, and the way I normally pronounce those words fits perfectly into this meter. Um, but it, um, it feels... I feel a drag on the rhythm in each one of those words. Bjarnason, honor again, it's not that I want to put the inappropriately archaic extra syllable in. It isn't that at all. Or that I think it should be in. But I'm feeling its absence. The absence of that syllable. In every wood, in every... Maybe it's just the fact that it's poetry. Um... And the fact that it's in rhythmic poetry, it is drawing, especially poetry so very rhythmic as this, so very regular in its rhythm as this, it is drawing my attention to the syllables that I skip. I don't normally think about them. Um, but, and they are heavy syllables anyway, Pionasona, you're right. Um, uh, every wood in every spring, there is a different green. The V's and the double F which, of course, are almost the same sound, one with voice and one not. Um, there's, it's almost, it's not quite, but it's almost alliteration, right? Um, every wood in every spring, there is a different green. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's something... The rhythm feels... It's not broken. The rhythm is unbroken, but it feels ponderous if you see what I mean by that um, uh, in every wood in every spring and yes I for see it's because if you put the third syllable in it distracts from wood and spring and wood and spring those two monosyllables are important right um, those two monosyllables need their billing they deserve their, their billing, right? Um, especially since the word spring is the last word of the line. Um, and especially, as we'll see, that there are other reasons that the word spring should jump out at us. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're exactly right, Bjarne's owner. If you say it, in every wood, in every spring, he says it sounds like Gilbert and Sullivan, if you do it that way. I totally agree. That sounds that does sound like Gilbert and Sullivan when you do that. Um, it turns it into a triplet, right? Um, it totally breaks the meter, right? In every wood, in every spring, um, yeah, it it, it 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 puts a little triplet action into there. And no, 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 um, uh, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, why do I think this is important? I think it's important because I th I do not think that this is an accident. I think that Tolkien 
wants these la- these last two lines are important. This stanza is a well, I was about to call it a turning point. Stanza three, things have turned, right? We establish the model in stanzas one and two. Stanza three prepared us for change, right? And yet there was still a lot that was anchoring stanza three to stanzas one and two. I mean, the first line is identical to stanza one, right? So the very first impression we get of stanza three is of maintaining the status quo, right? Maintaining the pattern that's been established. Um, We're beginning just like we did before. Now it does change. The tense changes from past to future. Um, You know, we cease looking back and we begin looking forward and that's a significant change, right? And then of course we have the rhythm and the syntax that I was talking about before, that enjambment and that um, subordination of the ideas, uh, which has such a different feel in that third stanza than we were seeing in the first two. So yeah, we get all that. Like, that's all, that all happens. Um, but it hasn't really departed um, fully from the form. Stanza four. Um, For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Yeah, let's see about that. Um, uh, That's really interesting, Almeria. In the whole poem, if you were an actor reading it, well, barring. Anyway, never mind. Uh, You can tell where the breath beats are. Like in this segment, it leads the reader to slow down. Um, Yes, yes, I agree. Again, which is interesting, Almeria, especially in... um, uh, conjunction with the previous stanza, the enjambment of the previous stanza, right? Um, unlike the previous stanza, where we don't get any breaks, right? I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Right? I failed to take a deep enough breath at the beginning of the stanza and couldn't even get through without cheating um, because it really does need to be done in a breath, that stanza, unlike the others where we get a pause. Um, here, we get the most emphatic pause that we've ever gotten in the middle of a stanza. First two stanzas just have commas, right? It's just, these are, these are breaks in the series, right, of things that he's thinking about or things that he's seen. Um, here we get a colon, right? For still there are so many things that I have never seen. Colon. In every wood, in every spring... There is a different green. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, that was my next thing on the rhythm. The overall shape of that. This is in. This is emphatically in two halves in the way in which no other stanza has been. Even if we go back to the first two where we have a pause after a comma and a pause after line two, still, um, especially in stanza one, I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. There's not a pause there after line one or anything. Um, but um, the interesting thing that happens between line two and line three is that on the one hand, it's I, I, I said at the beginning, it's almost like there's a colon there, 
right? What have you seen? Uh, meadow flowers and butterflies and yellow leaves and gossamer, right? Syntactically, these are all things that he's thinking of, right? The parallelism, these are not um, parallel objects of the preposition of. Think of all that I have seen. Meadow flowers, butterflies, yellow leaves. They all have their separate... Instead, these are parallel phrases, all of which are... Um, all of which are telling us what he's thinking of, right? I think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies. In other words, where we might expect a colon, maybe, right? Of all that I have seen, we don't get a colon in the first stanza. Instead, we find that the of all that I have seen, far from introducing a list, is the first item of the list, if you see what I mean, right? Of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies. By starting line three of the first stanza with the word of, he has, like, re... He's, he's transformed retroactively what line two does. You know what I mean? And the, the kind of um, uh, relationship between line one and line two. Um, if, you, if you see what I mean by that. Um, then back to stanza four. Here we do get the colon, right? There's still, for still there are so many things that I have never seen. Colon. Now we're going to get a list. That's what a colon's for. Right? You put a colon in the middle of a sentence when you say, especially when you precede the colon by saying so many things, Right? There are so many things. Colon. Okay. List forthcoming. Right? That's sort of the expectation, right? But, um, um, yeah, it's a list of one item. Fourth dollar list. We don't, we don't get it. We don't get a list. Um, what do we get instead? In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. What we get is every, every different. Yeah, Drowsnake, exactly. We get an implied list. Too many greens to list. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, TNTC, as my wife would say. Too numerous to count. Um, too numerous to count are the so many things that he has never seen. Right? Um, in every wood... In every spring, there is a different green. The things that he hasn't seen are infinite, or at least are as great as the continuing changing of the seasons uh, are, right? Um... So... I'm very interested in the fact that after we get that pause and what sounds like a setup for a list, instead what we get is that dragging ponderous rhythm there that I was noticing with the uh, um, um, (laughs) 
lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with those last two lines. Sorry, Silk Westcott, that's very funny. TMG, semicolon, DL. What? Too many greens didn't list. Is that, is that what that stands for? That uh, that uh, very very common internet abbreviation. Um, yeah, yeah. But it really plays up the emphasis on um, on those key words. Every every different. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Ooh, Aspen, that is awesome. Hang on, we gotta go back. That is awesome. Um, Aspen uh, is pointing out that we ended stanza three with ever, right? When winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. And the ever gets transformed to every. 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 Um, by Aspen, I would point out, by passing through never, <laughs> right? We get ever at the end of stanza three, never at the end of line two, and then every, every in line three. Um, that is a fascinating echo. Um, yeah, and that's really poignant, right? Um More. More on the sound before we get too entrenched in the words. It's not time for words yet. More on the sounds. Um, anything else you guys notice as far as alliteration and assonance is concerned? Anything else jump out at you? We've been noticing. Um, we got the S's again. Um, it's different, right? We had I sit beside before as the, the kind of the opening... Um, consonantal gambit, right, of stanzas one and three, I sit beside. Um, here we get, for still, so many, right? For still, there are so many things. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Still, so many things that I have never seen. And the S gets picked up again as it was. And so we see a similar shape Right with the two S's in line one and the C, the C uh, S um, at the end of line two, so that in its sound shape is similar. Except it's yeah in line in stanza one, the C doesn't come until stanza four of of line of, st of uh, line four stanza three, of course. Um, but yeah, but of course the second one is shifted. There are so many things. Um, the assonance there, um, sorry, not the assonance, the consonants rather, uh, the alliteration um, with the S's in the, those first two lines seems to me principally to draw out the word so because of the change in rhythm. Um, if he had said something like, you know, for still beside, right? If, if, if he had had that same pattern, right? Um, I sit beside. Um, the first two stressed syllables in those in that line, the first two stressed syllables are both S's, right? Um, but that's not what we get here. In fact, you notice what's different? It's even more different. It's not just shifted in 
No, it's just shifted further down the line. Notice what happens? For still there are so many things. When does the S come? The S is on an unstressed syllable. For still there are so many things. That's really interesting. I'm looking... Apart from terminal S's, which one would hardly expect an S at the end of a plural uh, to be at the beginning of a stressed syllable, by definition. Um, apart from that, I only see one other instance. Two. Yeah, no, one. Where the S, the S is always on a stressed syllable. Except for gossamer. I think gossamer is the only S sound, again, apart from terminal S's, that is not on a stressed syllable. Sit, beside, seen, summers, silver sun, spring, sea. Shall is not stressed, but it's also not exactly the S sound. It's... I thought about that for a second there, Aspen, but it's not, it's not exactly the same sound. Anyway... It's not necessarily that important, but it's interesting. It's just, it's another deviate. It's, it's, it, it makes those first two lines of stanza four, as far as the S's are concerned, almost um, uh, it's a bigger deviation, a bigger deviation um, than uh, um, yeah. the S is getting buried compared to what we've heard before. It, bra- just, it breaks the pattern. What's been an established pattern. Okay, anyway. Um, what else? Other, other, other consonants? You guys were all over the alliteration in stanza three. I haven't seen anybody saying, talking about uh, um, alliteration um, uh in this stanza, we get a, a, a return of our W, but only once, right? It's a prominent word there in every wood, in every spring. W and S, right? Both of which have been important sounds in the poem so far. As We've been talking about the S, and of course we had that explosion of W's, right? As, uh, as stanza three threatened to drown in W's uh, in the middle there. Um, we only get one here, but it's an important one. Um, Gosh. Yeah, Jenny, again, I come back to that, the, the, it's making, I kind of tossed that out, that off without thinking too much of it at the time, but yeah, the fricatives in every, every different and never. Um, begin to feel more important even than I was thinking at first um, because we don't have compared to the first 
three stanzas, and especially stanza two and stanza three, we don't have an initial word alliteration um, that works nearly as strongly. Fricatives are the, the F's and V's, the, f, the, the teeth on the lip ones, every, every different. Um, um, so never, every, every different. Not initial consonantal sounds at all, um, nor even like beside, right? We were saying beside, it counts to your ear because of the meter, right? It's on the, it's at the beginning of a strong, uh, of a, of a, of a, of an emphasized syllable, right? A strong syllable. So, um, your ear hears it almost as if it were the beginning of a word, right? Um, but here, those, those V sounds, V and F sounds, they're in the middle of words, but they're not even at the beginning of syllables. Those are um, at the best transitional, right? They're not really, they're just, they're every, in every wood, in every spring. But you know what? Maybe that's what's making me pause there so much. The re at the end of every is an awkward syllable as uh, as that unstressed syllable leading in, right? Go back for a second. Okay. Again, look at how he manages the unstressed syllables. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Right? Where where does he go to get unstressed syllables? How do you build a perfect iambic line, a perfect iambic poem like this? Well, one way you do it is by using a lot of monosyllables or two-syllable words at most. Right, we were talking about how we only have two, three-syllable words in the entire poem so far, and they're butterflies and gossamer, those exact parallel words there in those uh, central, um, you know, in the central couplets of that uh, of that diptych there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, again, look at those first two lines. I is the first one, right? Beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Prepositions, articles, conjunctions, helping verbs, right? And then I and that. You know, so that is the, uh, what is it? Is I'm forgetting. What is that called? The word that introduces the... Um, uh, the, the adjectival phrase. I'm blanking on what the that would be called there. Um, it's a subordinator in any case. It would be the class of it, sure. Um, the only difference there, the only word that kind of doesn't fit um, uh, into that uh, pattern is I at the beginning. Um, but it gets demoted because it's one letter long and it's a and it, and the word 
that comes, right? The syllable that, the stressed syllable that comes is the verb. And um, we're all about verbs um, in our language. Um, anyway, okay, so I sit beside the fire. So you see how that works, right? You see how he's contrived it, right? And then in, um, uh, in the, the next two lines and the, as well as, of course, the identical pattern in the first two lines of stanza two, we get the two syllable words coming in much more, right? Almost all, only one, all monosyllables except for the one word beside uh, in the first two lines. Then we get the meadow, flowers, butterflies, summers. Um, so we get these two-syllable words with the stress on the first syllable, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, relative pronoun. Gil Dalowin, thank you. That's exactly the word, the phrase I was trying to remember. Relative pronoun. Um, I almost said relative adverb, but that's to introduce an adverbial clause, obviously. Anyway, um, okay. So, going back to stanza four then. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Um, Do you see what I mean about how he has contrived it differently? The rhythm, it's still the same rhythm, but it doesn't sound the same. Um, the re at the is the way, what your mouth has to do, I was doing the same thing when I was looking at meadow flowers, right, thinking about what the what those vowels do to your mouth, right? Um, the way that it opens up your mouth, it makes you uh, uh, it makes you pull out those syllables like, to, to, to lengthen them some because you've got to get your mouth around the house there as you go through, especially when meadow flower uh, gets repeated like that. Um, but um, every wood is different. But again, what the VR consonantal combination does, which is what we get in the two-syllable version. Same thing with different, right? In all, in both cases, every and different, we get the the VF sound followed by the R sound. And they're not separable, right? Um, you want it with your unstressed syllable. Again, what our ear has been taught is with that iambic meter, the the unstressed syllable bounces you up to the stressed syllable. I sit beside the fire and think. I sit beside the fire and think. The fire and think, right? Um, sit, side, fire, think. That's what that line is about, right? That's, where our, that's what our ear hears. That's what our brains process. Um, and those two things match together, right? Um, the unstressed syllable is like a helper to the syllable that comes after it, right? Um, and it, every wood, every spring, different green don't work like that at all. Like, you've still got your mouth full of the first word. Like, I'm trying to clear the word every out of my mouth in order to get to wood, right? It doesn't bounce up to it. Um, at all, every 
um, every wood, every spring. Um, the V-R-Y sound, the, v, the F-R-E-N-T sound, different. Um, the transition from the F sound to the R sound tangles it up. I'm convinced that that's what makes it feel so ponderous. And when I add to it the cognitive dissonance, in a sense, the slight, it's slight, but the slight cognitive dissonance that I get from pronouncing aloud a two-syllable word which my eyes see to be three syllables, right? Um, uh, that, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, um, feel better that I can. Oh, yeah. I was saying, what brought me back to that? Oh, I remember. The alliteration. So, yeah. The primary... I I think I'm ready to say that apart from that interesting weirdness with the S's in the first two lines, the primary consonantal sound pattern in this stanza are those middle fricatives. The ev... the, the V and F sound there. Um... Yes, and I agree with you, Bjornasona. The fact that the stressed sil- the, the 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 every the 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 Y at the end um, is a continuant and not a stop. Yes, that also that also factors into it. Um, anyway, okay. I, so I think that's the dominant sound pattern, consonantally speaking. Um, we don't get alliteration primarily in this stanza, we get that. And what's more, notice we get it in the place where we've come to expect alliteration. Where does alliteration live in these stanzas? Line three is where alliteration lives, right? Especially in stanzas two and three. Morning mist and silver sun in stanza two. When winter comes without a spring, right? Um, the, uh, that's where we get the full flowering of the W's, right? Or when we, uh, when we get overwhelmed uh, by the W's. Um, line three is when we get the every, every uh, in stanza four. So yeah, I'm willing to double down on that. Now, but that's not the, the alliteration isn't the dominant sound pattern that we get, right? The dominant sound pattern that we get as far as the letters are concerned is the rhyme. Right and brick tales, you're right, and a couple other people have been pointing this out. Um, like we've gotten, like we got, I should say, in stanza one, and have and got again in stanza three. Um, we get another strong rhyme. Two and four, right? Scene green, which of course is the same rhyme as stanza one. So we go back to scene bean scene green. So we have the, the, the terminal rhymes of lines two and four bring us directly back to stanza one. We've, we, we had a very similar thing in stanza three, but we have um, almost the identical thing in stanza four here. But of course, the really interesting thing that we get is things and spring, right? Things and springs. No, 
other way around. Things and spring. One spring, two things. It's not a perfect rhyme. It could be. How trivial would it be to make that a, a, a perfect rhyme, right? He could have done that either way. Things singular, springs plural. He could easily have done that. Um, but he didn't do that. And that, too, seems to be part of the pattern that we've been seeing so far. We've seen him pull back from perfect rhymes in were and hair. Um, we've saw, Notice how we, it got closer last time. Right, good. Uh, Gildalawin, you were saying this before. We had think and spring before. And I think we were noticing that that was close, but not really a rhyme. But we had a kind of connection there between think and spring. Um, and now we come a step closer in things and springs. Things and spring, sorry, but not springs, right? Um, it is a, te- a step closer, but it's still not a perfect rhyme. So it's almost A-B-A-B, but it's not quite. And we haven't really seen A-B-A-B almost, I guess, kind of, nearly, with Think and Spring last time. Um, yeah, and I agree with you, Bricktails, never and every um, comes, especially with the repetition of every, never seen every wood, every spring, begins to sound almost like internal rhyme, right? Yeah, almost. Almost. Okay. Hmm. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Man. I can't think of a time when I've noticed something like this before. Like, ever. That kind of um, progression of non-rhymes, right? To have think floating out there on its own in the first stanza. And then think joined with spring in the third stanza. Closer to a rhyme. Still not quite close, but more than think all by it's more than thinking butterflies, for sure. Right? And then things and spring. Right? Um, It's flirting with rhyme, but avoiding it. Um, And yet there does seem to be a trajectory here. This glancing ahead, as I can now do since we're on slide two um, of the poem, glancing ahead I can see that this is the culmination. It's not going to get closer than this. He could go one step closer and do a a perfect rhyme um, with thing in spring or with, you know, another ing word, plenty of ing words out there right? that he could do. Um, He could do sing in spring or something like that in the next stanza or in the sixth stanza or something like that. And we don't get that. In fact, cheating and looking ahead, I see the ing at the end of the line is never going to come again. Um, This spring is it. This is the last spring. Um, In the poem, anyway. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting, Matt. Yeah. Matt says it can't be a perfect rhyme. If it was, it would it would structurally feel like a spring he would see. By keeping it not connected twice, he distances the spring from him. Um, he's distancing. There's a distance between the spring and what he thinks, 
There's a distance between the spring and the many things that he has never seen, right? Um, yeah. 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 Um, that seems right to me. It comes close here. Again, this is the this is the climax of this particular sound pattern, right? This is what we... If we've been being set up in the first three stanzas, this is what we're being set up for here. And what it is is the near miss, right? The almost rhyme, but not quite. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, one step closer, but still not quite yet, to uh, the full weight of the words that he's using. Syntax. The thing that strikes me um, most forcibly, the thing that strikes me most forcibly, um, uh, is the start, the word for, right? I sit beside and think of all, of meadow, of yellow leaves. I sit beside the fire and think. And then for? Four's a conjunction. We're starting stanza four with a conjunction? Starting with a preposition was fine, because again, it was in a series, and it was picking directly up on lines three and four that we got before, so that was fine. Um, but we're starting stanza four with a conjunction? And yeah, I agree. Both Aird and Bjorn Sonner are suggesting this is the pivot point. That is literally the pivot point of the whole. I mean, it's the central point of the entire poem, right? Um, if it's going to have a hinge, this is the hinge. And the hinge is a conjunction. For still there are so many things. And for, for is a weird conjunction, right? It's a conjunction, but it's not and or but. We're going to get to but, as we can see again. Peeking ahead, can't help but notice, but we're, we're, we're going to get to but by the end. Um, but for... Different conjunctions do different kinds of logical work, right? And the most hardworking conjunction, in the sense of working the most hours, is uh, uh, does the least work, right? It merely tells us there are multiple things going on, right? The other conjunctions all tell us the same thing, more or less. Tell us the same thing that and does, but they also tell us more, right? There's an additional thing, and it is in relationship to the things that came before it in this particular way, right? But is the second simplest of the conjunctions because it gives us another item, and it tells us that this other item is in opposition to the previous one in some way, right? It conveys that sense of, that sense of opposition. Um, and... Four. Four is different. Um, yeah, it sets up a reliance on what came before. 
For is like the word because, right? Um, for is going to tell you, like, here is what, here is another thing that comes. It's a conjunction, so it's telling you, here's another thing. But it's telling you that thing that is coming now is the reason for what came before. Um, that's a very different and a much more subtle kind of logical connection between the latter thing and the former thing, right? Um, and that's where we start this stanza. For still there are so many things. Um, it's like the answer to the question why? Right? Why did you do this? For this purpose, right? Um, especially when you use for at the beginning of a sentence, right? Um, that's the kind of sense that it provides. Um, don't let anybody tell you you can't start words with conjunctions. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, the language is, is, is your artistic palette, and that is a thing that you can often... That's a tool that you can use. You have to be careful with it. You have to know what you're doing. You can misuse it. Um, but it is... Um, a conjunction can be used at the beginning of a sentence and um, is... It suggests strongly, right? It introduces a relationship between what you're saying and what was said before. Now... The reason why your high school English teachers always told you not to do that is that if you do it incautiously, it's merely sloppy. Um, uh, for instance, uh, it's like if you're writing a paper, starting a paragraph with the word this, right? Um, you want to be really careful with that. Because when you have the word this at the beginning, you know, you, you, you write a whole paragraph, right? And then you start a new paragraph and you say, this shows us that. Well, what exactly shows us? Like, that word this is just like vaguely pointing at the paragraph that came before, right? And usually you'll want to be a little bit more specific about what it was exactly that suggests the idea that you're going on to explain, right? You're putting a lot of faith in your reader to identify correctly what your pronoun is very vaguely pointing at. Um... But, and conjunctions at the beginning of sentences can sometimes do similar things, right? Um, this is another one of what, exactly, you know? This is an and that goes along with what. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, Brick tells it is like Bible passages that start with therefore, pointing you back to the previous passage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The for often works kind of like that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, so... Um, But the four, this is important, right? It's important because it's not only at the beginning of a sentence, it's at the beginning of a stanza, right? This has a lot of weight, and it does signal to us that which is coming now, right? Like, the second half of this poem is the explanation of what came before. Is the answer to, the, to like, the why question, which was in some sense implicit. Right. Um, uh, 
before you, uh, you know, uh, before we like knew exactly what it was asking. Um, because you think about that, going straight back to what it was. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still, there are so many things. You feel that we get all that subordination. What's it? What's it? What's the conjunction linking back to? I sit beside the fire and think of this and this and this and this for still there are so many things, right? It's like, this is the reason why I'm sitting beside the fire and thinking. Why do you sit beside the fire and think? What's the point? What's the point? What's the point of reflecting on your summers? Well, on summers anyway. Maybe they were yours, maybe they were not. What's the point of reflecting on summers and autumns and on the world on how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that you will ever see this is why for still there are so many things that I have never seen that's why I sit beside the fire and think not just because I enjoy thinking about times that were before I, to accidentally quote a later stanza of the poem, oops, um, summer, let me stick with summers that have been and autumns that there were. This is why I sit beside the fire and think, for still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. We got winter in stanza three, and we got no winter imagery. We got all that summer imagery and autumn imagery in stanzas one and two. We got no winter imagery in stanza three. In stanza four, we get spring. It, a spring was alluded to sort of negatively in stanza three. But here we get spring, right? What do we get about spring? Do we get any descriptions of spring? Any spring imagery? A little bit. Not exactly. It's not the total absence that we got from winter. We got nothing for winter. We do get something for spring. Green. Right? The word green. We get a visual image. We get a color. Right? We get green for spring. Infinite shades of green. Tarloniel. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we get no details. We don't get any of that awesome stuff. The yellow leaves and gossamer and morning mist and silver sun, meadow flowers and butterflies. We don't get any of that because he hasn't seen it, right? He's seen all those other things before. This is the stuff that he's never seen. This is stuff that he's never seen. Um, It's an infinite number of greens that he's never seen before, right? Um... But he's not seen it. And he gives no imagery for it. He knows where to find it. He knows where it will be in every wood, in every spring. He believes in it, right? Based on his experience. His experience tells him not only that the woods are going to become green in the springtime as a general thing, but his experience 
has moreover told him when he thinks back through everything that he is all the summers plural all the autumns plural that that there were he knows none of them are the same the difference the different green in every spring that's what he's learned and so that's what he knows will come but he hasn't seen it and he'll never see it he'll never see all the different greens in every spring and it seems pretty clear now that we are still talking about the spring the winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see talking about that spring that he's not going to see right and I was talking about the lack of a negative in that previous stanza well here it is right he was saving it up we were getting the negative here we were saving up the we we got the ever in the last stanza and we're doubling down to a negative a never here in this stanza um yes and you're right almerea that his experience informs his faith and hope in spring absolutely absolutely um and in not just like in that it will come right um but uh what it will be like. But remember, that's important. Because what was he sitting beside the fire and thinking about? How the world will be. He wasn't thinking about winter. He was thinking about how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. But for still, there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. And of course, I only just now noticed that that four, which I find so striking, of course, also begins with F. Um, so the four sets up the never every every different with the F, the different F at the end uh, in the last stanza, in the last line, rather. Um, yeah. Um, Hmm. Bjorning, I wonder. Um, yeah, so let me do these in reverse order there. Amathorn was just saying green also means newness, a new dawning, new life, new beginnings, which of course, spring, right? Yeah, that's what the different greens in every wood in every spring is all about, right? Those new beginnings. Um, those new dawnings. And he's looking past his own life to new dawnings, right? Um, that I have never seen. I just noticed something. Remind me to talk about tense in a moment. But Bjorn Asana, then I want to come back to the comment that... No, wait. Yeah, sorry, Bjorning, the comment that you were making. Um... Uh, my screen scrolled and I was looking straight back at the same spot. Um, Björning is wondering, you don't think this has an optimistic attitude toward apocalypse? Like the winter that he shall never, that he shall never see is in a sense the apocalypse, and he's hopeful of greater springs beyond the second music of the Ainur. Um, in, if we did a reading like that, Björning, like this would go back to the potential apocalyptic reading of stanza three, right? the winter come, um, Sauron might win, 
right? A darkness might fall on Middle-earth. There may come a winter um, that has no spring, right? None of us will ever see the spring from that winter. And if so, the payoff from reading stanza three that way is it makes stanza four an act of Estel, right? For still there are so many things that I have never seen. Um, winter may come without a spring that I will ever see or that you will ever see or that any of us now dwelling in Middle-earth will ever see. But you know what? Um, beyond all darkness uh, rides the sun, right? Um, uh, there's still going to be not only not only shall green come again, green will keep coming again. It's going to carry on happening, you know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and here's that. Dorward, this picks up on your comment, too. I can't believe I didn't notice this. The shift in tense. What tense are we in? What tense are we in? For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. We're back to the present tense. Right? Except for line two, which is... Well, a quiz. We talked about this a mere like six weeks ago. Present perfect. Yeah. Present perfect. That I have never seen. Present. That's present perfect. I have never seen. In other words, he's not, he wasn't, he shifted to future. We started in present and present perfect. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen in summers that have been. Then we shifted to simple past with that there were in stanza two. But then we went into the future. Will be. How the world will be when winter comes that I shall ever see. Will be, shall see. Future. Both of them future. Right? Simple future in both cases. And now, sorry, I'm not doing really badly, minding myself. Um, and now, stanza four, we're back where we were in stanza one. Present, and present perfect. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, in my brain, with my mouth, I was reading line two correctly all this time, but in my brain, I was hearing the future tense. I was hearing that line, for still there are so many things that I will never see. That's what I was hearing in my head, or thinking in my head anyway. But he doesn't say, there are so many things that I will never see. In every wood and every spring there is a different green. That's merely wistful, right? That is merely longing. That's, a, that's, that's lamentation, right? Um... I am not going to see these things. Isn't that sad? But that's not what he says. I have never seen. Present perfect. 
the action of never seeing is complete in the present. I have never seen. When would you use that phrase? When would you say, I have never seen that? When would you say that? You might say that. Yeah, when you're planning to do it, exactly. Or when you're about to see something for the first time. Or when you do see it for the first time. Yeah. Now, sometimes you might mean that it will never happen, right? You know, you might say, yeah, I've never seen the Taj Mahal, right? And imply, and I probably never will, right? You might do it that way. It might have that force. But very often, um, very often, it doesn't have that, right? You know, why are you excited to go to Rome? Because I've never seen the Colosseum, right? That is what, right, exactly. When you, it's, uh, the question is what comes next, right? Are you, do you add to, I have never seen, do you add, and I probably never will? Or do you add, as Valori says, yet, right? Um, and the difference could not be more profound between those two sentiments, right? One is despair, maybe a little overdramatic, right? Um, but at least wistful sadness, sense of loss, sense of uh, lost opportunity, right? And the next sense, the other sense, is anticipation, excitement, eagerness, right? Hope, yes, but beyond hope, right? More than hope, right? Um, confidence, right? Anticipation, antici eagerness. Premised on hope, for sure, but not just like, oh, you know, maybe I will. No. Um, I have never seen yet. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's his tense here. Still, there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. In the first two stanzas, we were commenting about how absent the author was, the speaker, right? Um... It was all about the summers and the autumns just, like, happening, right? He was presumably seeing them, right? But he wasn't... Oh, until the wind is playing in his hair at the end of stanza two, he is not the protagonist, right? It was the summers and the autumns that were really the focal point. Stanza three, he's still not the focal point. He comes back into it, right? He talks about never, um, uh, never seeing the spring that shall come. Right, but he's still not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the world. Right, I sit beside the fire and think of how the world shall will be, of how the world will be under the circumstances when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Right, but it's the world that he's thinking about again. It's not himself. And here. There are so many things 
that I have never seen. And then a statement. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Back to one of my earlier observations about the non-list. <laughs> the list that it sounds like we're going to get that we don't get, right? Um, we do get an implied list, but it's not the structure of an implied, of, of, a, list, of a list of any kind. It's a, an, an, ob- an observation. It is generally true that, right? It is a truth universally acknowledged that in every wood, in every gr- spring, there is a different green. What's the subject and verb of this sentence? Stanza four. What's the subject and verb? It's tricky. Yeah. Um, It's tricky because we get two independent clauses here separated by a colon. Right? First one, first two lines. Subject and verb. First two lines. Yeah, there isn't a real subject. Not a subject in the sense of something doing an action. There are. Really? There are still so many things that I have never seen, right? So many things that I have never seen is all describing what is, right? So it's like there are, right? And there is in the second half. You could say things and green. Um, you could say... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree, uh, Bjorn Sonner. It's not exa- there and there are not exactly um, uh, are not exactly the subject of the sentence, grammatically speaking. Um, but we get both. Cla- what I'm trying to get to is that both clauses have the same construction. Clause one, independent clause number one. There are so many things. Clause two, there is a different green. Those are the two independent clauses, right? A different green is, many things are, or there are, there is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't have expected, with the colon, I wouldn't have expected those two things to be parallel in that kind of way, right? There still there are so many things that I have never seen. Okay, tell me about the many things. In every wood, in every green, in every spring, there is a different green. Uh, okay, but wait, what are the things? Right. Um, again, it, it is an implied list. The multiple greens are the implied list. I know um, conceptually that 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 works. But do you see what I mean? It's like the second sentence is an observation. It's um. In context, 
especially in the context of the grim future about that winter without a spring that we were getting in stanza three, I want to call the last two lines something almost like a faith claim, right? In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Not only does spring come all the time, every time, in every wood. Not only does spring come every time in every wood, but it's also different every time. Both elements of that, both the confidence of its repetition and the statement about its uniqueness, each one's uniqueness, each arrival's uniqueness, both come across as faith claims, right? Yeah, yeah. Bjorning, I'm coming around to that too. I'm coming around to, to that too, that um, Estelle seems to be really dominant in this stanza. And I did not see that coming. Heck, I didn't see that coming half an hour ago, much less <laughs> before we started talking tonight. It wasn't until I noticed the tense in that second line that that really hit me. And that changes everything. I was thinking of this as purely sad because I was in my head thinking that I will never see. But that isn't what he says. It's either despair that I have never seen and I never will. Or it is hope with the confidence of faith and expectation. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. It is. Um, and I can't help but come back to the apocalyptic stuff, Bjorning, that you were suggesting before. Um, there is going to be spring. Even if winter comes without a spring that nobody ever sees. Spring's still going to come. And not only is there going to be a spring someday, there's going to be every spring in every wood and a different green every time. Um, the beauty, the life, the springing forth of new life, um, uh, and um, the diversity of it, Right, um, the newness, the very newness of it itself, all of these things are going to come. They will all happen. And even as far as he is concerned, I haven't seen them yet. Um, one way or another, maybe he will. I absolutely did not see I'm like reeling from this reading of this stanza but that would be incredibly powerful if that's the answer to the why question the implied why question of why are you sitting by the fire and thinking sitting beside the fire and thinking um yeah dawn exactly dawn will come again day will come spring will come again right exactly spring will come again 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bjorni, I like that. Um, he doesn't say he won't see the greens. He says there are different greens. He may not see the next temporal spring, but he will see the infinite greens. Yeah, even if he misses the next spring, even a whole bunch of springs, right? There remain the every springs yet to come. Um, ooh, interesting. Josh the Left says, when Hurin said that, Aurean Tulava, um, he didn't necessarily mean for himself. Bilbo means this in exactly the same way. Um, fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it's not, um, at the end of the day, whether he sees it isn't what's important. Right? Um, just as he wasn't the protagonist of the first two stanzas in the first place. Right? Um, those, that, the last two lines of this stanza, in every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. Um, it's that, that, it's that even harder, doesn't it? it? It, the lack of him as protagonist, I mean. Right? He himself is only tangentially related to that which is simply a declaration, right? A declaration about the future. Like I said, it sounds like a faith claim, right? In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. A confident, present tense declaration of what is, and implicitly, because of the every spring, what shall be, right? And he, is he going to see it? How many will he see? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because um, remember, the second time, what was he sitting beside the fire and thinking about? How the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Now it sounds like that doesn't mean how will the world be when I'm gone. It doesn't even mean, oh, what might that spring that I will never see look like? I bet it'll be really nice and I won't be around to see it. Instead, now, it seems to be focusing simply on that spring itself, with himself as protagonist, himself as viewer, as unimportant as he was in stanza one and two. Um, What matters is not whether or not he sees it. What matters is the world that will be, how the world will be. And he knows how it will be. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. That's how the world will be. One way or another, sooner or later, that's how the world will be. Um, <clears throat> and Josh the Left, yeah, you're absolutely right. By ending his book and passing it on to Frodo, or, or rather even perhaps with, by passing his book on to Frodo without ending it, right? Um, he's realizing the story wasn't ever about him in the first place. Yeah, it's not just his story. Um, Gandalf may joke about being prepared, Bilbo being prepared to write a sequel when they come back, right? The messengers with the ring come back. But that's not Bilbo's language, right? Not when he gets to it. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, that completely blew my mind, and we're late, so it's time to go. But sometimes... Having my mind blown takes a while. Um, takes a, um, 
Yeah. Uh, sometimes it takes a while for things to trickle through. Um, and this, by the way, is why I have always found being patient with the reading of poetry pays off. <laughs> because um, sometimes you have to really think through something a lot and kind of beat your head against it many times before it finally um, it finally comes through. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. That, that's a good final thought. This is how The Hobbit ends with Bilbo being glad that he's just a little person in the wide world. Um, yes. And it would seem from this poem, Matt, that he's internalized that emphatically. Right? He's done a big internalization of that, uh, of that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Uh, this has been awesome. Thank you for teaching me tonight. That was fantastic. Uh, just awesome. Uh, field trip time. Um, we'll continue next week. I should be here next week. Um, I think actually I'll be here. I think I should be here still for several weeks. And I think through maybe even through most of February. So, um, so yeah, next week. I have no aspirations of increasing our pace. I expect to take two more weeks to talk about this poem. Um, I think when it comes to the end of it, we may um, we may end up spend more weeks talking about this poem than we spent talking about the A. Arundel was a Mariner poem, which is really funny in retrospect. But um, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, we're not going to talk about this poem until spring. Um, <laughs> it's great but yeah it's uh it's particularly poignant all the seasonal talk as i am freezing here it's the coldest day of the year uh up here in new england today um it is like right now a lower temperature than it's been here all year long and i'm in my unheated basement with my little space heater like working extra trying to keep it tolerable down here and it's uh it's freezing but anyhow um so yes, all this talk about springs and green has been seeming especially uh, um, uh, taunting here this evening. Mm. But um, anyway, how are you, Lori? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. I'm good. Um, uh, yeah, coming. Cool. I was having some mic issues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think we're. I think we're good. Um, okay. Um, good. All right. Maybe we had a audio blip, but I think we're back. Okay. Gonna, oh, did Twitch go? Do we lose Twitch? Oh, great. Not, yeah. Yeah, Cora. Cool. You're a you're a little low level for this one, I'm afraid. Sorry. Me? I mean, you're you're welcome to tag a, a Coric over here. Oh, oh Cork. Yeah. I was. Oh, right. Do we have a a very low level person? Uh, yeah. yeah, just a bit. I mean, you can try, but we can't guarantee your safety. Also, you can't use the milestone with us. So. Oh, yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, level seven. Level seven is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're not going to it. Okay. Well, we're going to go to a town. We're going to go to a town. Um, uh, but... Um, yeah, we're going to back to Echad Dunan. After, right, we set it up last time, right? We were looking at the road mm-hmm. to it last time. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Amethorn says we can't guarantee you won't be killed by a squirrel, which is totally true. Yeah. So, um, though, actually, we can't you, even teleport them with us. You could yeah, come. Yeah. 
because that would be funny um, uh, if you got killed by a squirrel. I mean, it, it kind of would. Like, you have to admit, it'd be a little bit funny. Um, but I don't think the squirrels would kill you, would they? Do the, do squirrels attack? No. No, just no, the deer the attack. Else does, yeah, the lady deer will attack. The lady deer will we... attack him. Yeah, they'll hunt him down. But, um, yeah. Well, we unfortunately they're too low level. We can't even summon them with us. We can't. Yeah. We can't summon them either. Nope, okay. So I guess the only way for you to get to Echad Dunan would be by stable master, which you'd presumably have to coin mithril coin there. Yeah. 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 And we're not, of course, asking anybody to spend money to join. No, of course. All right, all right, all right. Well, okay, we'll invite you. Yeah. All right. We'll have a go. This guard is not responsible for the safety of said fellow. <laughs> That's said right. Fellow. That's right. Yes. Exactly. All right. Please sign that you uh, consent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a waiver uh, for uh, mm -hmm. single-digit level characters who come to... Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so. All right. We were looking That's at good. proximity to the road was one of the primary things, right? We were looking at this road as the main thoroughfare between Moria and Eregion. And we've got mm -hmm. our nice archway here. Um, and we were looking at down the road where it looks like we can see that bent over arch over there. We were getting some archways, um, some like triumphal arches along the road to make that kind of extra fancy. We looked like we were having, you know, maybe a little B and B, maybe a little, uh, um, a little hostelry, uh, off the road up there. But that leads to the question of what is this exactly? This is the closest, the largest thing and closest to the road. Um, again, the game instructs me very clearly to see this archway up ahead as a very significant boundary. You know, the, the game tells me that this is the border between Eregion and Moria on account of we've got this big glowing doorway that we have to go through and this is, uh, you know, this was a significant moment. Um, yeah. So it's right, right after we cross into Elvish territory, essentially, right? We're, we've left dwarf lands and we've entered elf lands. And as soon as we do, here right next to the road, we have what? A something? Embassy? Um, A Way station, right? Says JJ. Yeah, gift shop, right? Um, maybe. Well, let's see. Okay, we've got a gateway, but a small one. This is a teensy yeah. gate. I mean, yeah, it's an archway, but I've seen bigger archways and walls in these uh, in these Eregian constructions. Um, maybe it's like a customs. I mean, presumably Ooh. there's export and import. There would be trade. Inspect yeah, it's possible. Last homely That's house before permission. Right. Yeah, there's chances our people need to need permission to enter in. Inside, right inside, we have steps leading up to a dais here, and the dais is nice, and it's surrounded by 
the nice open arches with the filigree work and probably I'm going to go ahead and guess a domed ceiling as most of them seem to have domed ceilings around yeah. here. I like the domes. Um, Those look like a way scale. <laughs> What's well, like this is so, so, so you, you, you've got to drive your wagons up here onto the dais and, and, and they'll weigh it. Is it um, or the goods on your card anyway. Check your, uh, check your check your manifest. Check your manifest. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, hang on a second. Let's let's. So we've got what looks like probably a wall that continued to this boulder over here. So we had a more or less solid wall, though doubtless it had lots of arches in it. And indeed, we can see that that's the case, right, from this uh, this one that uh, who uh, Lathlornileth. That's a lot of L's. Uh, Lathlornileth is standing on here, right? We can see the pillar with the inlaid, uh, like, lapis, uh, you know, or the kind of turquoise... Um, Marbling right on the inner inner side of the arch, just like we can see on the inner side of this arch, right? Um, yep. So it we know that it had more archways and stuff, maybe open, maybe not. Um, so maybe rather than wall, this is more like um, a uh, uh, like a like a cloister kind of wall, right? Yeah. Um, Okay. It occurred to me that the elves don't seem to care much about rain. No, not at all. It's possible that those the other domes and stuff were glassed over, and that the glass is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I also think it quite possible that they did not care about rain. Then maybe some sort of cloth canopy that gets stretched across or something. Yeah. Um, it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible that we could, they, they could, uh, they could, you know, have a retractable roof, you know, like the Sky Dome or something. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Um, I can't see them having a permanent roof over that filigree dome stuff that they do because that just seems too obviously designed to both be pretty and let in the light. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can't imagine that it was permanently covered, um, even with something that would have, you know, decayed. Um, yeah, no, I agree, JJ. They do, um, they don't seem to mind hot and cold as much as humans, and so I agree that they would probably not mind being wet either. I, I, I've, I've always kind of imagined no. that the elves would have enjoyed all weathers for themselves, rather than merely trying to avoid the rain and enjoying this, you know, the sunshine. Um, Standing in the rain is all romantic until uh, it gets down into your socks and your underpants. But, you know, I'm just saying Noldor probably had special socks and underpants. They probably by some Noldor, they probably led their entire lives with wet socks and underpants. No, they probably developed special um, uh, uh, fabrics and stuff. I, I get it. Like I, Feanorian I, underpants. Feanorian underpants. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I I mean, I, but then if it, if it wasn't wet, they'd have nothing to complain about. 
Oh, they're more cheerful than that, especially these elves, because remember, like, evil had departed from the world. Um, oh, right, right. All the, all the gung-ho complaining elves all got, you know, killed off. Exactly. Yeah, no, they've been gone some time now. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, okay, but yeah, I see what you're talking about, the, the, the arches over here. Notice the arches are the same as the arches on the door. We get that uh, turquoise stuff on the inside. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that they seem to be uh, mirroring the mm -hmm. the showy offy arches. Yeah, yeah. Down. Oh, and this is this is the first taste that the dwarves are going to get when they you know want to go through. Although the arches elven over there, but yeah, this is this is going to be the first big elven building they come across. That this is obviously they they're going to take more time to make sure it's really special looking. Yeah. Huh. Oh, there's a took up here. There's a took up here? Yeah, at the campfire. Herward took. Oh, him. Right. Mm -hmm. Herward took. There he is. Trying to teach the residual elves of, of Eregion to be burglarious, I guess. I suppose, yep. Um... Okay. Huh. We've not seen a room like this with arches quite like this, I think. Whoop. Yeah. Lost like, my bearings here. It would here. be on another road, but there's no road here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a courtyard. It's all paved. But okay, anyway, then we go up the hill. More paving. Looks like a paved pathway, but not steps. Mm -hmm. Up the so hill to uh, more of the same arches. Yeah. Uh, another. Did these... Did they... Where yeah. do these come from? These arches here. No, these little pieces. Yeah, these little pieces here. Yeah. Like they come from over there. No. No, I don't think they would have wandered that far. I think they mm -hmm. must have come from here, like those ones down there presumably came from that wall down there. Um, they got buried. Yeah. So I think there must have been some other kind of enclosure up here, but there's not much here. I mean, you compare it to the other pleasure spots, like Gwingris and um, and certainly Tralalalali Land. Um, and even the other one, whose name I always forget. What was that one called, this one? Um, Sad Rehu. Yeah. No, not that. That's the place. That's the site. No, Pembar. That's the one I keep forgetting. Pembar, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Pembar. Pembar. Yeah, the other Elvish one. I looked at the wrong flag. Um, Pembar. Um, Pembar, Gwingris, and of course, Tralalalali Land, which is super hard for me to say, um, Barad Morlas. Um is um, uh, all of them were way more extensive than this. This is tiny compared to those. And we had what were clearly halls, like for indoor feasting, if not for rooms, you know, if not bedrooms, they clearly had at least feasting rooms, feasting halls, and there yeah. were gazebos. There, I don't, there's not a single, like... Uh, cupola or like a, remember the 
in Gwingaris, the places where you could give a speech, right? Or oh, yeah. uh, tell a story or sing a song, right? Um, yeah. You don't get anything like that here. It feels like more of a, a, a more of a political, functional just station than an yeah. actual... Yeah, it does feel more like a station. I'm coming around to the way station idea or the or even the uh, customs hall idea. Yeah, but this is this is less of a civilization. This is more of a we have established our presence here. Yeah, because um, see again I, here I come back to the 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 doorway, the first impression. We've had other dioceses before, but they were mm-hmm. like um, in Gwingaris we had the raised floor of that big fat tower, right? That we were kind of guessing like acoustically designed for chamber music or something like that, right? You know, when we were trying to guess the functions of the different buildings at, at Gwingaris. Um, but here, notice the, the, the stairway really emphasizes it to me, right? Um, you're a dwarf and you're coming in here, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're a dwarf. And the stairs and the dais, the, you come through, the very first thing you see is the dais, right? So if yep. you've got, especially if, you, if you're a dwarf and you've got elves standing on that thing, they're way above you. I mean, they're, you're looking way up at them. Oh, it's a power play. It's absolutely... It kind of feels that way. There up there. How much you want to bet there was a chair or several chairs up there? Right. Where they had to present their, their route of passage and their intent. Yeah, I mean... We know they were friendly with the dwarves of Moria. I, you know, I don't think that they're like trying to be off-putting or anything to them necessarily. But, um, oh no, these know. are all microaggressions at this point. But yeah, do you think that there's an element of like, we trust you're not thinking of trying any funny business, but, um, you know, like some kind of element of, um, I don't want to go so far as to say distrust, right? But um, bureaucracy is the right word. Yeah, we're wanting to we're wanting to make it clear that um, you know you've entered a and You need to be. Yeah, yeah, I did. Dolor struck. You're right. It does say that Kelly Brimbor had a friendly rivalry with the um, um, with mm-hmm. the dwarves of Moria. Yes. Yeah, but if the dwarves do respect any, uh, dwarves are you know secretive and stuff and. You know, they extended their trust to the elves, but if they understand anything, it's paperwork. And, and like, they, they grudge. Uh, Gimli, or sorry, not Gimli, Glowen has a moment of uh, complaining that the Bjornings' tolls are high, but he doesn't exactly complain that there are tolls. Right? I mean... No, they need to replace the, the bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So if this is something like a customs office, exactly, Amaray, to see if there are any Balrogs or nameless things to claim as they come through. Um, Big, too uh, greedy, or too deep. <laughs> right. I can see that in like a checkbox, right? Have you dug, colon, too greedily, too deep? Um, <laughs> in, the last, in the last 14 days? <laughs> it's sounding like my COVID screening tests from when I just went right, abroad right. recently. Um, yeah, yeah. Have you traveled out of mountain recently? Exactly, JJ. This is built in Celebrimbor, by Celebrimbor, in rivalry to the dwarves' welcome centers up in Gundabad. Yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Although, uh, he got the spacious, but not so much the building part. Yeah. Well, it's hard, you know. Um, well, I was going to say it's been a long time, but of course it has for Gundabad too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Customs House is exactly it, but it feels... Sorry, go ahead. You gotta hand it to the dwarves. Their structures really do stand the test of time where the elves, you know... They do. Well, uh, but that too, I think, is also part of the spirit of this, right? This wasn't designed to be a fortification. This wasn't designed to endure against all things. This was a... Again, this was the party civilization um, is is our, our primary reading of this, right? I mean... Everything here that was set up was initially set up as for recreation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You you get the feeling the dwarves take the attitude of we are temporary, but our buildings last forever, while the elves are more like we're we last forever, our buildings are temporary. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, that's a really neat way of saying it. That seems exactly right. they wanted their buildings to be nice, to be a, an excellent kind of backdrop to what they were doing, but um, uh, they're convenient in various ways. But it wasn't about the buildings. Um, yeah, it's got all this expensive stone and soft metal everywhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, not the very sturdy foundations. I mean, again, you just look at, look at how comparatively flimsy these walls are. I mean, compared to, you know, the dwarf constructions. Yeah. Yeah. This was not designed to stand forever. I mean, look at how it is after only 5,000 years, right? Um, yeah. This is, pri- this is like a, this is like a, like, you know, the, the elvish version of a pole barn, right? Um, it's how the Noldoran do it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, did the dwarves have any hand in helping to build or provide resources for elvish constructions, Amathorn is asking. Well, we know that that has happened on several occasions. That The primary occasions on when that happened are when the elves were building underground, right? They helped at the Elven King's Halls, and they mm-hmm. helped in... in, um, in uh, uh, what's it called? In Doriath. Menegroth. The yeah, Thousand that's, Caves. That's we, the, coming the, the pillars so, yeah. that look like trees... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Casa Doom is definitely there first, I think. Well, before the Kingdom of Eregion, like under Celebrimbor, for sure. Um, but, um, and so therefore, probably before there was a stable Noldoran presence here in this area. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, Khazad-dûm was definitely there before that time. I mean, was Khazad-dûm set up before any elves wandered through and threw a party in this area? Probably not. But um, uh, um, yeah. But you know, uh, anyway. there's a lot of cut stone here and, and beautiful, you know, mar- marble veneer and stuff like that. I'm sure the dwarves lent a hand with that. Maybe. Maybe I'm sure they liked it, um, though I can imagine them scoffing at how undefensible it all was, right? And how they had no way to protect themselves. And Where'd of you course, put holes in the windows. I could bend it with my fingers. 
Right. And and uh, and probably how retroactively smug the dwarves felt when Sauron's armies did, in fact, invade Eregion and they could close their doors uh, and the uh, and Sauron could not get into Moria, but trashed all of Eregion. Um, yeah. The elves were kind of going quick. Somebody build doors. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, that works. I think like, whether it's actual custom house or just. Uh, some kind of you know, or 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 gift shop, or whether it was designed for elves or dwarves, it could be you know the idea of the 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 the, the last homely house, um, you know, before you get to Moria, um, yeah, yeah, um, Yeah. Oh, so I see people speculating about the name of Regian. Smug. I be, uh, Jenny. I, 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 I bet you're right. I bet um, that Eregion, um Yeah, would translate as Holly. So that Holland. Um, Holland. He gives the name Holland. That usually is a direct translation of the Elvish word that he gives it. You know, um, the way that he introduces Holland. It doesn't sound like. And by humans, this was known as Holland. Um, but rather as a translation of a Regian. And so the word Regian um, is going to mean like that, that it's not like Eregian is the digital version of Regian from Beleriand, um, but rather um, it's uh, Regian is just going to mean the land of like a different but related species of tree. I'm not sure which Regian is Regan. supposed to be the land of. <laughs> yeah. Not maybe? Okay. Re- yeah. <laughs> Like I do remember, did. yeah, I do remember looking at maps as a kid and being like, why did he call this region region? That seems like, even to me, that seems like a bad I mean, name. I, I can't say I have a name. <laughs> places, places, like place name. Place name. You know, I mean, Tolkien did that kind of thing all the time, right? I mean, the water, the lake, the, the long lake, the, um, you know, desert, by water. Desert, desert, desert. Yeah, exactly. But, um, we but still, region would seem to be just a, a little... Uh, a little beyond the pale there. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, cool. Um, but yes, I, 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 I do like the idea of draw snake. Uh, was it, was it you that was suggesting this or am I just thinking it's you because it sounded like you? Um, no, it was you. Um, that uh, uh, it was the, it was uh, 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 Anatar's gift shop uh, does seem very plausible. I think uh, as the uh, the way to go here. All right, well, the lolly in the holly. Try the lolly in the holly. It is super late because we didn't even start until yeah. it was ending time. Um, so I'll let you guys go. Um, but uh, thanks for this. So next time we're gonna head off towards. I want to be careful. I'm tempted to look. There's some more ruins up on the hills. But I don't want to go too far because we're starting to get into plot territory. Like this, this, uh, this, this hill here is going to feature in the book, so we need to save it till ah, we get yeah. there in the book. Um, so I'm not going to wander further north from here. Um, but we'll head out. <clears throat> we'll head down towards Mirabel next time. Maybe we'll hit the uh, we'll hit the stable master or the uh, the milestone in Mirabel next time, um, and then study that next week and moving forward. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye now.